This program was first broadcast on Canterbury's access media station, Plains FM, and was made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air. Coming up next on Plains FM, the Shetland and Orkney Connection, brought to you by the Canterbury Shetland and Orkney Society. Played by Shetland Band Homebrew, signal 8.30pm the last Monday each month for the Shetland and Orkney Connection, produced by the Canterbury Shetland and Orkney Society and broadcast on Plans FM 96.9, either directly in Canterbury or streaming live globally on broadband, or available for three months after the broadcast via podcast on the website www.plansfm.org.nz. everyone and welcome to the September programme of the Canterbury Shetland and Orkney Connection which is presented by the Canterbury Shetland and Orkney Society and is promoted by Community Radio Plains FM 96.9. The programme is broadcast at 8.30pm on the last Monday of each month and is repeated on Monday two weeks later at noon. Yes, well, we are back in the studio today for this recording, though there is just the two of us, Helen Baker and myself, Heather Craw. There is not enough room to have three of us to be two metres apart, so Jan Mackay is having the day off. I see that COVID is still going strong in both Shetland and Orkney. Here in New Zealand, the Auckland area is in Level 3 lockdown, and the rest of the country is in Level 2. Luckily for us in the south, they have managed to keep this outbreak in the Auckland area. It's a bit of a pain having to wear a mask when we go out, but to me, wearing one is self-preservation. Yes, it's a small price to pay. It is, yeah. Yeah. More than 470 dog owners have given backing to plans for a designated dog park in Shetland. At the moment, they regularly congregate at the NAB in Lerwick, as do walkers, joggers, cyclists and golfers. They are looking for a safe place for the dogs to be able to run around and play with other dogs off their leads. We want somewhere secure for the dogs and for their owners as well, especially if they have young dogs. While the NAB was a handy meeting place for dog walkers, it was unsuitable for people to let their dogs off their leads because the public were also using the same space. Yes, they certainly do need a um, designated mm. space, I think. Yeah. Especially when there's 470 yeah. of them. Yeah, mm. and have it fenced off as well mm. so the dogs can't run away mm. in there. Yeah. Mm. The 2022 Nesting and Grister Uphaliar festivals have been cancelled and pushed towards 2023. Isn't that terrible? 2023. Its committee said they felt it was unviable to hold a festival next year due to the ongoing issues related to the COVID pandemic. 
It is hoped that the festival will be able to return in 2023, and the committee and the JAL elect look forward to hosting a safe and enjoyable Up Haliar. This cancellation follows the events in Lerwick, Scalloway and Bressing. All right, so mm. they've all been cancelled as well. Yes, have they? they have. Yes, so oh, I don't dear. think there'll be any up here again yes. this year. Which mm. is a shame. It mm. is. Mm. However, earlier this month, Orkney's bike run for Macmillan Cancer Support saw 167 motorbikes of all shapes and sizes and their riders make an impressive sight and sound as they moved around the mainland of Orkney. With a £10 entry fee for each bike, a raffle and money buckets, a total of £6,000 was raised for Macmillan Cancer Support. The riders took off from Kirkwall, heading for Stromness. They then went on to Doonby, returning to Kirkwall via Versailles and Evie. Organiser of the event, Doogie Stanger, said he was overwhelmed by the response and thanked all the bikers and those who gave so generously. We couldn't have done it without you, he said. Yeah, I was quite surprised there's 167 motorbikes in Orkney, actually. Oh, but well it's... done, everybody. Uh, it was a great amount that they raised, and mm. it's hard to believe. Yeah, as I said, it's hard to believe there's that many motorbikes in Orkney. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they all brought them out of the garages and uh, yeah, cleaned so. them up yeah. for their, yeah. for their but day. But they had a good tour around, you know, the mainland, really. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Divers have documented the hidden life of many of Fair Isle's remote caves for the first time. Around 70 caves have been documented, with dive teams battling weather conditions to carry out a full biological survey of four caves. These included a spectacular 200-metre-long cave on the west of the island, known as Diamond Cave. Stunning images show that Characteristic sea cave habitants and species discovered included coral, sponges and sea squirts. The surveys were commissioned by Nature Scott and carried out by a team of divers from Harriet Watt University. Hard to believe, but Orkney has been suffering from drought. The level at the lock of Kerbista has been particularly low this year and the level of the lock of Boardhouse has also been falling in recent weeks. Water from Kerbista Lock supplies Kirkwall, the East Mainland, South Ronaldsea and Sharpensea. The Boardhouse Lock supplies the West Mainland. Although there are no restrictions, people have been asked to conserve and not waste water. The situation in Orkney is getting progressively worse, with no prospect of substantial rainfall in the foreseeable future. Yes, it's sort of hard to believe, but there was pictures in the Orcadian of the lock, and you can see, you know, the old tire with the lock so low mm. that you can see all the rubbish that's in the, in the mm. bottom of the lock. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now, Orkney is one of the few countries never to have had a public railway, but that obviously did not prevent Orcadians from filling that schoolboy dream to ride on the footplate of giant locomotives. One such man was James Spence, originally from Bursi who served for more than 40 years as a locomotive engineer on the Canadian Pacific Railway. James, the youngest son of Andrew Spence, a shoemaker of Bequoyside, Bursi, immigrated to Canada in 1892. He was thought to be in his early 20s. After a spell of farm work, he moved to Winnipeg, where he got work cleaning engines for the Canadian Pacific Railway. 
He was quickly promoted to fireman and then to locomotive engineer, the job he retained until retirement in the 1930s. James died in Canada in a road accident just before the Second World War. But Orkney did have a small railway, and it was used when building the Churchill Barriers, but was dismantled after the barriers were uh, finished. Mm. Right. It was just mm. a small narrow gauge. Yeah. Mm. Did you know that around 5.15am on the 24th of January 1927, Kirkwall was hit by an earthquake? It's quite Although, relevant, isn't it, at the it moment is. with Australia having <laughs> their little shape? That's yeah. right. <laughs> Although it wasn't realised at the time, it was later blamed for quite serious structural damage to Kirkwall St Magnus Cathedral that was only diagnosed more than 40 years later. The reports of the quake in the Orcadian in 1927 likened it to a prolonged peal of thunder lasting about 20 seconds which shook houses to the extent that crockery was broken and beds moved. Mr William Moffat, who lived in Home Road, Kirkwall, said his house shook and rocked considerably and doors rattled rather violently. Yes, and we here in Christchurch can relate to that very well with the two earthquakes we had once over ten years ago. That's now, right. Mm. And now poor Melbourne had <laughs> one yesterday. Yeah. At Kirkwall Pier, Captain Moody of the SS Amelia said the rumbling noise accompanying the shake was like the report of a heavy gun. At the time, no serious damage was reported, but in 1971, when a public appeal was launched to save St Magnus Cathedral, they found the building urgently in need of restoration. Consultant architect Alexander Haywood suggested that the 1927 earth tremor had caused movement in the cathedral which over the following years had led to cracks in the masonry and vaulting. The condition of the vaulted roof of the nave was serious, he said, and needed to be remedied with reinforced beams. And I can remember being told um, that the front of the cathedral was actually coming away from the main building. Oh, gosh. And if you do go in and you look up, I know on, if you go in and look up on the left side, you can actually see the big metal girder that they've used to um, hold it together. Hold it together. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> mm. Yes. Just keep away if they have an earthquake. There. That's right. <laughs> a bit more on the cathedral. Recently, it has undergone a bit of a facelift. Conservation works included repointing stonework with lime mortar on the interior and exterior of the west front. Work is also being done on the vestibule inside the entrance. Mm, that's the trouble with old buildings, isn't it? There's always something to do. Yes. And it's always expensive too. Mm. Well, the erection of the Viking Energy Wind Farm in Shetland is moving on, but there is a very large scar on the landscape where they are working. They have just passed a milestone with the pouring of concrete on the first wind turbine base. It was an all-day operation with a fleet of eight ready-mixed concrete lorries delivering the required 700 cubic metres of concrete. This will, re will be repeated another 102 times for each of the wind turbine bases. With concrete pours set to be ongoing every day over the coming months, drivers are advised to be prepared for meeting slow vehicles on the roads. The Vestas turbines are due to arrive on the site for erection early 2023 and the wind farm is on course to be in production in late 2024. It is expected to be <coughs> the most productive onshore wind farm in the UK. 
Right, yes. But it looks a terrible mess where they're, you know, doing all the excavation. Yes. Mm. Goodness. Mm. And how many will there be? 103, I think. 103? Yeah. Of course. Mm. Oh, heavens. Mm. There'll be more power than the islands need, surely. Oh, yeah, they, they're taking it down to Scotland. Oh, are they? Mm. Yeah, oh, they're oh. putting a cable, yeah. Mm. But it's still going to be a real mark on the landscape. It will I be. Say, I know in Auckland, you know, you could take a photo and there's a jolly yes, wind turbine, yes. but these are all in one, but right Come in the middle on. of the islands, it's not, mm. not a pretty sight. Mm. If you have just tuned in, you are listening to the Canterbury, Shetland and Orkney Connection presented by the Canterbury, Shetland and Orkney Society and is promoted by Community Radio, Plains FM 96.9. The programme is broadcast on the last Monday of the month at 8.30pm. Now, here's something for all you teachers out there. Would you like a change of scene and to get away from it all? Well, here's the job for you. Head teacher on Fair Isle of the local primary school. The island has great scenery, wildlife and knitwear. Outgoing head teacher Ruth Stout said it was a great place to live and work. Yeah, but I don't know. It wouldn't I be... wonder how many people are on Fair Isle. Well, it's only about 40 or something. There's not is very there? many, is there? So I don't know how many children there'll be yes. in the primary Plenty school. Plenty of bird watching. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Well, yes, she didn't mention that. Yes. No. Yeah, that it's a popular sport, isn't mm. it? Mm. Well, this is a wee bit from the Get Dusty archives. It was a message in a bottle. This was taken from the Orkney Herald, June the 5th, 1889. Message from the sea. Early on Saturday morning, as the crew of the fishing boat Isabella Reed, while in the act of hauling in their nets off the butt of Lewis, they discovered a small glass bottle, which was tightly secured with a cork. On opening it, a slip of paper was found inside, on which the following was written. 19th of May, 1856. To Mrs. Clunas, Burn Lane, Lerwick, Shetland. Whaler Eulis, about my last hour, forgive me for what I have done. May we meet in heaven. John Clunas, Glynit. The bottle and the paper have been handed over to the Superintendent of Customs in Stornoway. But I wonder what it was he had done that was so bad that he had to be begging for forgiveness from his mother or was it his wife? Was he for some reason committing suicide? Something I don't suppose we'll ever know, but it's really sad, you know. Yes. Think of the, Perhaps you've got to uh, read the next uh, newspaper or two. Yeah, I don't know. And there yeah. might be, mm. it might throw some light on it. It might be a bit it? difficult to get a um, 1856 yes. paper. Yeah, yeah. It seems appropriate with the Paralympics just been to talk about Hetty Scott, a Harry lass who has achieved more than most able-bodied people, despite having no hands and being unable to walk. Hetty learned to write, paint, knit and crochet using only her feet, and more importantly, she mastered the art of drinking a cup of tea with the saucer in her left foot and the cup in her right. Hetty says in her short autobiography, called Brightening Her Corner, that tea was one of her favourite things, a confession which we heartily applaud here at Orkney Archive. Hetty was particularly talented in both painting and needlework, and favoured scenes of animals and flowers, 
which often illustrated biblical text. Hetty was uncomplaining about her limitations, but was no po-faced martyr. I just can't imagine how she can drink no. a cup of tea, saucer and one Holding, foot. Yes. You know, I mean, I can imagine painting and that sort of thing, but holding yes. a cup and saucer, yeah. To be able to lift it up. Yeah. Yes. But the, guess, uh, the Get Dusty site is an interesting site and well worth a visit if you've um, got a bit of time to spare on the computer at some stage. Earlier this month, there was a large cliff collapse just east of Whitaloo Point in Bursey in Orkney's West Mainland in an area of high sea cliffs. They are pleading with people not to go exploring the fall and trying to get a closer look, as there is a very risk that the area of ground either side for quite some way is yet to collapse. You could be not only endangering yourselves, but also the emergency services who would be called to assist you if you fell. And I did walk along the cliffs from Yesnaby towards Strumness a few years back, and it was rather scary at times as you could hear the, the sea booming into the caves that were underneath you, and mm. it was a real boom. Yeah, it was quite... Mm. Um, yeah. And if it was windy up there... Yeah, well, if it was a rough sea, it must be so. terrific. Yes. Yeah. Four centuries or so ago, the Spanish embarked on a voyage of war that for some ended in Westray, Orkney, for it was the summer of 1588 that the beleaguered remnants of the 130 ships of the Spanish Armada found themselves driven north as they sought to escape around Scotland and Ireland, pursued by the English fleet. The Spaniards' ill-fated attempts to conquer England founded, not only because of the efforts of Sir Francis Drake, but also because of an unseasonal summer storm. The Armada had left Lisbon at the end of May 1588, but it was nearly the end of July before Drake could claim victory, and it was then that the Westray folk offered sanctuary to several shipwrecked Spaniards who not only settled on the island but married and began a unique community. They and their descendants became famous as daring fishermen and seafarers, and even... Notorious smugglers. <laughs> yeah. The story of the men who became known as the Dons of Westray was recorded about 130 years ago in 1889 by W. Trail Denison of the West Broch Sandy. In a paper he wrote for the Orkney Natural History Society, much of his evidence, he said, had been tradition gathered from the lips of old people. The original Spaniards of Westray had come ashore at Pirawal after having to take to a lifeboat when their ship was wrecked off North Ronaldsea. The Spaniards seems to have taken kindly to the island, where they built houses for themselves, married wives, and formed a little settlement by themselves on what was called North Shore, said Trail Denison. After the first union by marriage of the Spaniards with Orcadian females, None of the race were allowed to marry with any but the descendants of the original settlers, and their descendants have since been called Dons. The Dons seem to have adopted Orkney names in most cases, according to Trail Denison. Among their principal names were Petrie, Reed and Hewison. Trail Denison's own grandfather, who lived at the castle of Notland, taught nautical skills to the young men of Westray. During a pretty long life, 
he taught the nautical science to 140 young men, 80% of whom are said to have been doms. Most of these men left the country as sailors and many became sea captains. Apart from their proficiency as mariners, the dons were also said to be fine actors who would entertain the Westray folk with winter drama productions. Not all the Spanish were so fortunate, however. No. The flagship of the Armada, commanded by the Duke of Medina, was driven ashore in bad weather on Fair Isle. Another officer on board was presumably a Captain Patricio, who was later buried in the cathedral. Certainly, according to folklore, the family had cared for a dying Spanish officer who, on his deathbed, had presented the trails with a sword. Trail Denison told the Orkney Natural History Society that he still possessed the sword, which had been handed down by several generations of his ancestors. The Duke of Medina certainly stayed on Fair Isle with his crew before accepting the hospitality of a Shetland Island laird, who, it seems, later arranged the Admiral's repatriation as far as Dunkirk. It has been speculated that it was the shipwrecked Spaniards who taught the Fair Isle folk about colourful dyeing of wool and introduced new intricate patterns, all of which led to traditional Fair Isle knitwear, which has since played a part in the economy of the Northern Isles and become a famous export around the world. Trail Denison's 1889 paper did little to encourage this theory. In fact, he suggested that Far from discussing knitwear with the Spanish, the Fair Islanders eventually murdered many of them. He quoted historian Sir Robert Sebold, who said the islanders had at first kindly entertained the crew, but as winter approached, they feared the extra population would quickly exhaust food supplies, causing everyone to be starved. Accordingly, said Trail Denison, any unfortunate Spaniard found alone was thrown over the Feral Cliffs by islanders. Then a more wholesale plan of slaughter was devised, and the islanders deliberately collapsed a flagstone roof of a building where the Spaniards were sleeping. Those who were not killed quickly secured the use of a boat and fled to Shetland, it was reported. I can't say I blame them. <coughs> no. The, the cliffs around Fair Isle, for those who don't know, are fairly high. <laughs> Doesn't bear thinking about, does no, it? Mm. No, Well, once again, here we are at the end of our programme. The music this month is a track from Milestone by the Kirkwall City Pipe Band. Do look after yourselves and wear those masks and keep safe. Cheerio for now. Bye. Hope to see you next time. <laughs>